Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about the end of negative gearing. Now, of course, the Australian Labor Party's big election promise back in 2019, uh, when when we had our last federal election, was to abolish uh, negative gearing. And I think it would be logical to assume that really that served as a, as a message for any future policymakers that, uh, you know, banning negative gearing is not necessarily a great policy uh, or at least one that's going to win you the next ele- election. Um, but uh, that said, I would caution anyone from, or any investors, I should say, um, from placing too much reliance on negative gearing. It may not be here to stay. There's a few reasons for that, why that might be, which I'll get to. But firstly, let's talk about or define what is negative gearing. Why do people negatively gear? Uh, so essentially, negative gearing allows investors, typically property investors, to offset uh, any loss, any income loss in that particular year against other income, uh, such as employment income, to reduce their overall taxable income and therefore reduce their tax liabilities. Um, let me share an example, which I have in uh, the blog and show notes, of Colin. Uh, you know, Colin's a lawyer and he earns $200,000, uh, and his usual tax bill each year is $64,700, so that's without any um, any re- investment deductions and so forth. So if Colin uh, goes out and buys a, a million-dollar investment property, uh, and he expects to receive around about $14,000 of net rental income after paying for all expenses such as management fees, insurance, maintenance, all those sorts of things. Now, if he goes out and borrows a million dollars at 3.5%, the interest cost is going to be $35,000. So he's got 14000 of income, 35000 in interest. Uh, therefore, he's made a pre-tax loss of $21,000. That's negative gearing. Now, Colin will be able to offset that $21,000 loss against his $200,000 PAYG employment income. So his taxable income in that year will be $200,000 less $21,000 as a loss will be $179,000 per annum. So instead of his tax bill that year being $64,700, it will be $54,900, which gives him a tax saving of just under $10,000 because he's lost money on his property investment. That is called, typically, a negative gearing benefit. So why do people negatively gear? Why would you lose money on an investment? Well, the only reason that you would do that is if you anticipate the property's capital growth rate will eventually dwarf the income losses. So that is its future growth rate in dollar terms will be far more than what you might lose in um, in income. So if we continue with that example of Colin, uh, let's just assume that property continues to lose about $11,000 after tax, um, after tax benefits, negative gearing benefits each year for the next 20 years. So it's going to lose, you know, $220,000 over a 20-year period. That's what it's going to cost to hold that property on an after-tax basis. Now, if that million-dollar property uh, appreciates uh, uh, by 7% per annum, well, in 20 years, it will be worth uh, $3.8 million. So nearly four times 
uh, its current value. Uh, after capital gains tax and after you repay the loan, that means that Colin would have accumulated equity of $2.2 million uh, on an after-tax basis. So essentially, he spent $220,000 in income over 20 years to generate a capital gain, an after-tax capital gain of $2.2 million. And I think most of us are going to agree, well, that works. You know, we're all going to, if I said to you, you give me $10,000 a year for the next 20 years and in 20 years' time I'll give you $2.2 million um, after tax, you would go, no problem, Stuart, where do I sign? So in short, investors use negative gearing on the expectation that capital returns generated by the investment, often property, of course, uh, will substantially offset uh, any after-tax income losses over time. And obviously, the negative gearing benefits, the tax deduction, um, defrays some of those holding costs over that, that period of time. Okay, so there's three reasons why I think negative gearing is at risk. And if it's not at risk, maybe the negative gearing benefits from investing in property, borrowing to invest in property, won't be as substantial uh, as they have been over the last uh, few decades. And as a result, I would counsel most investors uh, to discount any tax benefits associated with investing in property. So that is, that make sure the investment works without the tax benefits. Um, because uh, one or all three of these things might play out as I expect them to, uh, and and if not diminish uh, the tax benefits, potentially um, uh, they evaporate in totality. Okay, so the first reason is that the government will have to find additional tax revenue. Now, obviously we know that the federal government debt will... Uh, eventually exceed next year $1 trillion. That's the projection, but obviously, you know, it could be even higher. Uh, And so the government needs to generate more revenue, not only to service that debt, but eventually to repay it. Now, there's going to be two kind of primary ways to do that. The first one is to grow the economy, stimulate the economy. Uh, That is GDP, gross domestic product. Uh, The more productivity we get out of the economy, typically the, the higher the tax revenue uh, holding tax rates the same. So that's that's a really good way to generate revenue and repay uh, debt, of course. Uh, the second uh, typical way is to raise taxes, or which is really another way is to sort of limit deductions, but uh, I think you could um, describe both those as, as raising taxes. Uh, now, just over 11% of the Australian population invest in property. So there's about 22 million uh, property investors out there there's just short of 20 million uh, adults, uh, you know, um, obviously minors can't own property. So, um, uh, however, only about 3.3% of Australians, uh, really about a third of all property investors, own two or more properties. So therefore, if the government was to turn around and decide to limit negative gearing, not scrap it in totality, but maybe limit it, and let's say they limited it to one property, uh, and if you own two properties, you couldn't, you could only claim gearing on one of them. Uh, well, then fewer election votes are at risk, and that that's probably a relatively attractive proposition as opposed to uh, banning negative gearing across the board. But I, what I think is probably a more likely uh, outcome is that they will put a dollar value limit. So, for example, they might say, "Look, you can claim up to twenty thousand dollars a year uh, to offset other income." Any uh, losses in excess of $20,000 a year 
uh, needs to be carried forward and you can offset ag against the uh, cost base of the asset when you go and sell it. So that, that means it will reduce the amount of capital gains tax you uh, pay. Um, by having a dollar value limit um, still means that low to middle income earners can utilise gearing uh, to save tax and build wealth and so forth but higher income earners uh, will um, benefit less uh, proportionately or um, uh, based on their income from, from negative gearing. And I think that's pretty, uh, it's a pretty attractive uh, proposition for a government. So limiting negative gearing rather than banning it, uh, I think is, is likely. It's on the cards. I don't know when it will happen. Uh, but if I'm contemplating a property investment and going to hold that property for 30 years, I think it's very unlikely um, that I can uh, claim negative gearing without any restriction for that 30-year period. The second uh, one is interest rates. Now, um, gross rental yields, residential gross rental yields, uh, typically range between 2 and 3.5%. So you might get 2%, 2.5% for a house, uh, whereas apartments will tend to yield a bit higher, maybe 3, 3.5%. So 2 to 3.5% of a property's value will typically receive in gross rental income. But obviously out of that, you've got to pay for management fees, maintenance, insurance, etc., etc. So really what we find is that net uh, residential investment yields, so the net income that you receive, tend to range between 1% and 2.5% of the property's value. Again, it depends on an apartment or a house, the type of property and value, location, all those sorts of things. But with interest rates, uh, you know, you can find some fixed interest-only investment interest rates that sort of start at 2.5% today. So Really, when we compare the net rental yield to the interest rate, the differential sometimes is nil, but it's certainly not more than 1% to 1.5% these days. That means that if you own a million-dollar property, your pre-tax loss um, won't exceed $15,000, being 1.5%. Uh, and, and quite often, uh, in, in a lot of situations, the pre-tax loss will be less than $15,000. So... Consequently, if we multiply the loss by our marginal tax rate, uh, and if we're paying the highest marginal tax rate, maybe we're saving $7,000 in tax. Uh, that's the negative gearing benefit. Whereas if we um, cast our mind back before, say, 2012, when variable interest rates were around 6%, um, the typical loss range will be somewhere between 25 and 5 uh, percent of a property's value. So again, that million dollar property uh, would be losing between twenty five and fifty thousand dollars, and your tax benefit as a result would be between twelve and twenty three thousand dollars. So quite a substantial amount of saving. Of course, there's a, a substantial, substantially higher um, after tax cash flow cost as well. But if we look at the tax savings, the impact on a client's tax position, low interest rates has have evaporated to a great extent, the negative gearing benefit that used to be there. And if we assume that low interest rates are here to stay, at least for uh, some years and, and potentially for an extended period of time, I'm reminded that Japan's been stuck on zero interest rates, uh, zero cash, government cash rates for um, almost 25 years now. So it is difficult for economies to start getting off low interest rates and start um, increasing rates. And if interest rates stay low, uh, then if you're using negative gearing as a strategy to save your tax, 
uh, maybe it's not going to provide those tax savings that it used to, you know, some uh, eight, nine, ten years ago. Uh, and lastly, uh, the reason the impact on near gearing will be the change in marginal tax rates. So it was reported last week that the Labor Party is likely to support the government's stage three tax cuts, uh, which don't kick into the financial year 2024-25, uh, so they're a couple of years away. But it means that anyone earning over $120,000 will receive a pretty reasonable uh, tax cut. And that would include, it's likely to include uh, a lot of property investors. So essentially they're getting rid of the um, uh, second highest rate of tax, which is currently 37% plus Medicare, the 2% Medicare, so 39%. They're going to get rid of that tax bracket. And so really, um, if you for any earnings between 41000 and 200000 it's taxed at 34.5%. And anything over 200000 is then taxed at 47%. Uh, they, those uh, numbers include the Medicare levy, of course. Um, uh, so it's a, a, a good tax saving. However, uh, with a lower rate of tax means... Uh, our negative gearing benefits are reduced. So uh, again, using Colin's example of the million dollar property, um, uh, the annual tax savings would reduce by around about 40%. Um, so from about 11000 to just under $7,000 in tax saved. Of course, I have the workings in the show notes and the blog on the website, uh, but suffice to say or summarise that uh, the flattening of tax rates uh, will reduce the effectiveness of negative gearing as a tax-saving measure. Um, uh, so we'll, we'll net better off because we're paying less tax, but it just in terms of a strategy. Okay, just to wrap up then, tax savings alone will never make you independently wealthy. In fact, tax is an unavoidable consequence of building wealth. If you're paying tax, you're making money, either income or capital gains, and that's a good thing. Uh, so, of course, any tax benefits that are there um, are helpful because they reduce the cash flow burden of holding on to investment properties, but it is absolutely important that your investment strategy works without them. Uh, so if they disappear one day, that your total investment strategy doesn't fall into a pile. And really, the only way you're going to do that is if you invest in properties that generate the highest amount of capital growth in the future that you can possibly afford. So that is by the highest quality asset uh, that you can afford. And this is yet another example of why quality is key. That is, it's unreasonable to expect above average returns from a below average quality property or asset or methodology. Um, quality is key. If you nail quality, everything else will sort itself out. Uh, and that's why you need to um, really get some good advice when formulating your strategy and then um, selecting the assets that underpin that strategy. Okay, that's it for me for this week. Uh, until next week, bye for now.